your Bibles, I want you to turn to 1 Chronicles, 1 Chronicles chapter 15. If you're wondering where 1 Chronicles is, 1 Chronicles is in your Old Testament, sort of in the middle of the Old Testament. 1 Chronicles chapter 15 is where we're going to be starting today. We're going to be looking at verse 25 and uh, looking a bit more after that, but we're going to be looking at 1 Chronicles this morning. If you want to scroll to that or flip to that right now, that would be awesome. It's because today here at Thrive, I'm really excited to be sharing with you guys a brand new message series. We call it the God and Me Experience sermon series. And this series is all about this, is that whether you are new to church and new to Christianity, or you've been to church before, you've been maybe a Christian for a very, very long time, the Bible says that deep down, every single one of us was made to experience God. Everyone say experience God. In fact, the book of Ecclesiastes puts it this way. It says that God has planted eternity in your heart. In other words, it's like there's this God-sized hole in your heart that only God can fill. And you can try to fill that hole with money, power, sex, fame, popularity, friends, status, all the things that the world offers, but you will never be able to fill that hole in your heart because it is a God-sized hole. God planted eternity in your heart. And until you experience God, until you have a relationship with him, you will never be at satisfied with life. You will never be fully at peace. You won't truly be content. You won't really know your purpose in life. It's because you were made to experience God. If you believe that, say amen. And that's why in this series called the God and Me Experience Series, we're talking about how do you experience more of God? How do you get to know this God who is, you know, maybe sometimes for some people hard to get to know, not really sure what to do. What can you and I do to experience more of God? We're talking about that in this series called the God and Me Experience. And today, the message I'm here to share with you is a really exciting message. It's a powerful message I'm here to share with you. It's called Experiencing More of God When You Worship experiencing more of God when you worship. See, no one comes to church hoping to waste their time. Did you, did you come to church this way, hoping to waste your time this morning? Did you wake up this morning off of your bed and go, oh, I really hope I go to church and just waste my time? No, no one does that. No one does that. That's silly. See, the fact is this. All of us, we believe we come to church because we want to experience more of God. If you believe that, say Amen. And how do you do that? When you're worshiping with others, how do you experience more of God? Let me begin with a little definition for what worship is. If you're wondering, is worship just singing? Is worship just the first you know, few minutes of a worship service? Is worship reading my Bible? Is it going to church? What is worship? Let me give you a definition for worship this morning that you can write down. It says this, true worship is when I realize who God is and I respond to him with faith, humility, love, courage, and obedience. See, true True worship is, it, it begins with me recognizing who God is, and I respond to that knowledge, respond to that understanding, respond to that revelation with what? Not rebellion or pride, but I respond with humility. I respond with faith. I respond with love. I respond with courage. I respond by obeying his word. That is true worship. And it's whether it's in the church, in a service, or it's outside the four walls of a church building, that is what worship is. And today we're going to learn what can you do? do in a worship service or in a small group when when you're worshiping with others what can you do to experience more of God we're going to learn today from a guy called David everyone say David 
And we'll be reading from First Chronicles chapter fifty or cha- chapter fifteen this morning. Why don't you read with me in a big loud voice, First Chronicles chapter fifteen? And uh, why don't you help me preach in this place this morning? I want you guys to be louder than me, and so why don't you read as loudly as you can, verses twenty-five, uh, starting there. Let's read in a big loud voice. One, two, three. It says, "So David and the elders of Israel and the commanders of units of a thousand went to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the house of Obed Edom with rejoicing." Keep on going because God had helped the Levites who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, seven bulls and seven rams were sacrificed. Now David was clothed in a robe of fine linen, as were all the Levites who were carrying the Ark, and as were the singers and Kenania, who was in charge of the singing of the choirs. David also wore a linen ephod. So all Israel brought up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord with shouts, with the sounding of rams' horns and trumpets and of cymbals and the playing of lyres and harps. As the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord was entering the city of David, Macau, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David dancing and celebrating, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of God and set it inside the tent that David had pitched for it, and they presented burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before God. Keep on going. After David had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each Israelite man and woman. He appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord, to make petition, to give thanks, and to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. Asaph was a chief, Zechariah second, then Jeel, Shemermoth, Jehiel, Matithia, okay, Eliab, Benaiah, Obed-Edom, and Jeel. Okay, keep on going. They were to play the lyres and harps. Asaph was to sound the cymbals. And Benaiah and Jehaziel, the priests, were to blow the trumpets regularly before the ark of the coven of God. What is going on in this passage? See, First Chronicles is often known for having a lot of lists of names. In fact, we're going through this as a church together. If you are doing the game time challenge with us, we're reading a bit of First Chronicles every day. And how many of us know that as many names as there are in First Chronicles, there is a, there's packed with truth. Every chapter, amazing things we can learn from the word of God. If you believe that, say amen. And we've been going through that together. Today, I want to teach from this passage this morning. And I want you to let you know that this is all about worship. Everyone say worship. See, David, he's the king of Israel, the most powerful man in his nation. And David longs to experience more of God. Today we're talking about how do you experience more of God when you're worshiping with others. David wanted to experience more of God. He didn't want to experience more of God himself. He wanted his whole nation, all the people that are in his care, he wanted them to experience God as well. If you're a leader in this place, maybe you're a parent, maybe you're a teacher, maybe you're a small group leader, maybe you're a team leader at your school, my hope is that your desire, your goal is for your people to experience God. Not just to do work for you, not just to you know, raise them materially and financially, but we want to experience God together. If you believe that, say amen. And David was like that. As a king of Israel, he's like, you know what? I long for my whole nation to experience more of God when we worship God together. And so he decides to do something that is absolutely huge. Do you know what he does? He decides to bring what's called the Ark of God into the city of Jerusalem, the capital city of Israel. And what he says is, okay, we're going to bring the Ark of God in a big worship service with everyone worshiping together. We're going to bring the Ark of God into the city of Jerusalem, and we're going to worship together. We're going to experience God together. What was the Ark of God. See, maybe you've heard of Noah's Ark, which was a big boat. See, the Ark of God is something different. The Ark of God wasn't a big boat. It was a box. It wasn't made out of wood. It was made out of gold. It was a gold-plated box, and it represented the presence of God. Everyone say the presence of God. 
what they would do is they would take the two stone tablets on which were written the Ten Commandments. They'd put it into this gold box called the Ark of God. They'd take some, a jar of manna that came from the time when the Israelites were leaving Egypt. They'd take that jar of manna. they put it into the Ark of God. They took this, you know, this, this staff that the very first high priest called Aaron would use, and it kind of blossomed and budded, and he put that into the Ark of God. And so this Ark of God is a very, very special piece that is meant to symbolize God's presence among his people. But for a very, very long time, the people didn't worship using the Ark of God. See, what would happen before was God would say, okay, there's going to be one high priest. He's going to go to this Ark of God, which is going to be placed in the house of God, in the most holy place. And once a year, this person, this high priest is going to go. He's going to kneel between those two golden cherubim, those two golden angels, and he's going to pray and offer a sacrifice to God. And that was the way that Israel would do some of its worship. And see, God, you know, he's represented by this ark. And so David says, you know what? We need the ark of God in Jerusalem. At that time, there was a guy called Obed-Edom. Everyone say Obed-Edom. Don't you love that name? Do you want to name your son Obed-Edom? What a great name. See, Obed-Edom, he had the ark of God in his home. And the Bible says that because he had the ark of God in his home, everything in his household was blessed. I'm not sure exactly how he was blessed. I'm not sure if, you know, maybe Obed-Edom, he was a bit out of shape. But then all of a sudden, the day that the ark of God went to his house, he woke up this next morning. He's like, oh my goodness, I've got six packs right here right now. I'm just ripped right now. What's going on? Maybe his wife wasn't a very good cook. But then when the ark of God came into his house, all of a sudden he gets up next morning and the, the, and the wife's cooked a, a five-star meal with filet mignon and prime rib, and she's like, I, I don't know what happened. I'm just becoming an amazing cook. And maybe the kids came in, and Obed-Edom watches his kids come in, and, and before they were flunking school, and they're like, hey, Dad, guess what? We, we completely aced our test. We didn't even study for it. And, you know, and, and we got two letters to say that we're both going to Harvard. We didn't even apply there, and we're going. And, and what, you know, what, what is going on is that there was the blessing of God on Obed-Edom's house. I don't know if exactly that was the way that they blessed. They were blessed, but they were blessed. They experience the peace of God, the joy of God, the blessing of God in their lives. Because how many of you guys know, with God's presence comes God's blessing. Amen. That in the presence of God, there is blessing that you can't find anywhere else. There is a peace you can't find anywhere else other than the presence of God. A joy you can't find anywhere else other than the presence of God. A hope that you can't find anywhere else other than the presence of God. And that is what David longed for. And so he says, you know what, we're going to bring the ark of God into the city of Jerusalem. We're going to do it just as the Bible says. We're going to carry it on poles. We're going to get the Levites, one of the tribes of Israel, to carry it into Jerusalem. And as they do it, we are going to worship. We are going to sing, we're going to shout, we're going to dance, we're going to pray, we're going to offer sacrifices, and that's exactly what they do. He leads all of Israel in this huge worship service where everyone from the greatest to the least in the country, they all worship God together. And what ends up happening is they offer sacrifices, they, they give their best to God, and as a result, many people experience God in a powerful way that day. And the reason why we're looking at this morning is because when you look at this passage, there are three things that David David did as he was worshiping with other people that enabled him to experience God, that enabled others around him to experience God. And if you want to experience more of God when you're in church or when you're worshiping in a small group, when you're praying with your family at home, when you maybe have a prayer group at work and you're doing that, if you want to experience more of God in that setting as you're worshiping with others, these are three things that you need to do as well if you want to experience more of God as well. I want you to take some good notes this morning as we get into it. The first thing you want to do if you want to experience more of God as you worship with others, number one, understand your identity in Christ. Why don't you write that down? Understand your identity in Christ. Understand your identity in Christ. 
Let me say something and see if you agree with it. Would you say that sometimes the clothes that we wear say something about how we see ourselves? Would you say that? I think so. Sometimes I think the clothes that we wear say something about ourselves, say something about what we think about ourselves, what we see in ourselves. For example, if you came into church this morning with a One Direction t-shirt, all right, that says something about yourself. It says that you are a One Direction fan. It probably says that you don't have very good taste in music. I'm kidding. I, I'm, I'm totally kidding. Like, nothing against One Direction. They're great. Um, maybe if you came in here with a, a Vancouver Canucks jersey, it tells you something about yourself. It says that you are a hockey fan. It says that you like the Vancouver Canucks, that you know, even though they're you know, the 27th best team in the NHL, right now they are still you know your team uh, that says something about your identity if you came in here this morning wearing a New England Patriots jersey a Tom Brady number 12 jersey and that that says something about yourself as well it says that you're probably gonna watch the Super Bowl today it says that you're probably cheering for the New England Patriots and hoping that they create a dynasty when they win the Super Bowl today and and it says something about you the clothes you wear say something about how you see yourself if you believe that say amen and in the same way when you look at what David wore on that day when he's worshiping with others, what was he doing? What was he wearing? It says something about how he saw himself. And when you understand the clothes that David was wearing, it speaks to not just three aspects of David's identity, it actually speaks to three aspects of your identity and the way that God sees you in Jesus Christ. And if you will understand these three parts to your identity, you will be able to experience more of God as you worship him with others. What does, does the clothes of David say about our identity? Let's look at it right now. Look at 1 Chronicles 15, 27 with me. Read in the big loud voice. One, two, three, it says, Now David was clothed in a robe of fine linen, as were all the Levites who were carrying the ark, and as were the singers and the Kananiah who was in charge of the singing of the choirs. If you have, just go, go back to that. Go back to that. If you have that in front of you, why don't you underline the words, a robe of fine linen. A robe of fine linen. Everyone say fine linen. Anyone wearing fine linen today? Do you, do you know if you're wearing fine linen? I'm not really sure if I'm wearing fine linen. I don't think I am. But here's the thing. Fine linen, what's so special about fine linen? See, here's the thing. When you read the Bible, when you study the scriptures, you're going to find that fine linen symbolizes three things that we're going to be talking about today. Number one, fine linen symbolizes righteousness. Everyone say righteousness. What is righteousness? Righteousness means that when you stand before the throne of God, God looks at you and says, you are acceptable in my sight. You are worthy to be in my presence. I don't declare you guilty. I declare you not guilty. Any sin, any shame from your life, I disregard it. I don't look at it. I just see you as blameless and acceptable in my sight. That is called righteous. How many of you guys know that according to the Bible, there's none, not a single one of us is able to earn righteousness before God? We might think we're pretty good. We might think we're nice people. But the fact is this, is that none of us, no matter how hard we try, no matter how good we think we are, no matter how good we try to be, none of us can reach God and earn righteousness on our own. But because God loved us, because he didn't want to be apart from us, he said, I'm going to send my son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sins. And the righteousness that Jesus has, I'm going to give that to you. And he's going to take on your sin. He's going to trade his righteousness for your unrighteousness righteousness so that you can be righteous in my sight. So that by having Jesus in your life, you can be declared not guilty, forgiven, blameless, acceptable in my sight so that you can be a child of God. If you believe that, say amen. 
That's what Jesus has done for us. And if you read Revelation 19, 8 with me, what does it say? It says, Revelation 9, 8 says, And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. What is it saying? This is the King James Version. I don't know if many people read King James anymore, but the King James Version, it's saying this, is that this is a, a picture of Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. And he's saying that, This bride, she is wearing fine linen, which represents righteousness. It represents that when God looks at the church, when God looks at you and me, when we have Christ in our lives, he doesn't see our sin anymore. He sees us as righteous. Come on, give God a big, big hand here in this place. Where would we be without the righteousness of God? You and I so badly need righteousness. Come on, give God a big hand, a big shout in this place right now. It's the righteousness of God. Told the person, give him a high five and say, I need righteousness. Amen. And when David, when he wore a robe of fine linen, which represents righteousness, what he was saying about himself and his identity was this. He was saying, I know I've made mistakes. I know I've messed up. I know I lied. I know I've cheated. But I also know that because of God's undeserved mercy and grace on my life, I am loved. I am accepted. I am forgiven. I am blameless. And I am righteous in the sight of God. And guess what? The same thing you can say about yourself when you have Jesus in your life. Amen. Not because of anything good that you or I have done, but all because of his mercy and grace. And that's why in Christ, when you put your faith in him, your identity is that you are a child of God who's treasured, righteous, and acceptable in God's sight. No matter what you think of yourself, no matter, all, no matter what kind of lies the enemy tries to make you believe, you're a loser, you're worthless, you don't mean anything, you've got no purpose, you're a failure. In God's eyes, in Christ, you are a child of God who's treasured, righteous, and acceptable in his sight. If you believe that, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. That is who you are. That is who you are. Turn to everyone and say, that's who I am. Look at John 1, 12 and 13 with me right now. 1, 2, 3, it says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Keep going. It says, Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. In Christ, you are a treasured, beloved, righteous child of God. And if you are a child of God in that way, that means you have a heavenly father who's watching out for you. That means you have a heavenly father who loves you unconditionally. That means that if you're going through an uncertain, tough time right now, and there's something in your future that is not solved yet, and you're worried and you're stressed, the fact is this, because you are a child of God, because you have a heavenly father who loves you and is committed to taking care of you, guess what? You don't have to worry. You don't have to worry. You don't have to be stressed out. You don't have to panic all the time. You don't have to feel like it all depends on you and live as if it all depends on you. Because the fact is this, when you are a child of God, you know God is taking care of me. I'm not the parent here. I'm the child here. And my parent, my heavenly father, he's going to take care of me. And therefore, because I know he's control, I have peace. Amen. Amen. With the peace of God, you can go into God in the presence of God and say, God, thank you that you are in control and I don't have to worry. Tell him to give him a high five and say, you don't have to worry. Amen. That's the first part of your identity is that you are a child of God in Jesus Christ. Second, you know what the robe of fine linen that David wore represents? It represents one more thing. It represents royalty. The first is it represents that you're a child of God. It represents righteousness. The second is it represents royalty. The fact is David was a king. And you're going to find that throughout Scripture, 
people of royal status would wear fine linen. Look at Genesis 41, 42 with me right now. and Read in a loud voice with me. One, two, three, it says, Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger, and he put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. Are you guys with me this morning? Are you guys awake this morning? Yeah, okay. Can you read with me loud and clear so I can hear you as well? Say it with me. One, two, three. It says, Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. See what's going on. There's a guy called Joseph. Everyone say Joseph. Joseph, he's one of the most famous characters in the Old Testament. Joseph, he's in prison for many, many years. He's in the country of Egypt. One day, the Pharaoh, king of Egypt, he is going through a crisis, and and he he asks Joseph to come and help him. He's plucked out of jail. God plucks him out of jail, gives Joseph tremendous supernatural wisdom to help Pharaoh overcome this national food crisis that they're about to go through. And because Pharaoh is so pleased with Joseph, he decides to promote him to royal status. And what does he do? He gives him a ring, which is his own signature ring, where he stamps his authority. He gives that to Joseph. He puts a gold chain around his neck, but he does one more thing. What does he do? He gives him a robe of fine linen. And what does it represent? It represents that you've been promoted to royal status. What does it represent? It represents that here I'm the king and I'm going to share my authority with you. You are now a partner with me in my kingdom. You have authority just like I have authority. You have royal status. And why do I mention that? It's because in the same way, when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you're not just a child of God. You're also a member of his royal family. Amen. You are also an heir in the kingdom of God. Write this down. In Christ, you are an heir in God's royal family destined to reign with him. That is who you are. No matter what anyone else says, you are royalty. Amen. Amen. You might not feel like royalty all the time, but the fact is, in Jesus Christ, you are royalty. Turn your number saying, you are royalty. Amen. Look at Galatians 4, 6 and 7 with me right now. What does it say? It says, And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Keep on going. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. God has made you his what? His heir. You are an heir to his royal kingdom. You are royalty. In other words, God is sharing his kingdom and his authority with you. Isn't that incredible? And see, what that means is that this, write this down, with royalty comes authority. That means that when you pray and when you worship God, you're not coming to God powerless without anything, but you're coming to God with an authority that God has given to you. It's almost like you have this special pass and this special status in God's presence where he recognizes you as being part of his family, his royal family. And that's why when you come to church, when you worship with others, you don't have to come shy and timid. Oh, I say, you know, or, or you know, I'm shy, I'm shy. You know, oh, boys, oh, Moise. And, all, and you, you sit in the back and, oh, I, 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 the, the front is for the spiritual people. I'm not so spiritual. I'm not worthy. No, 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 no. See, what you can do is because you know that you're an heir of God. You're a member of his royal family. You can approach the throne of grace with confidence. Amen. Because you know that you are a member of his kingdom. You are an heir of his royalty. And so that is what you are. Turn to your neighbor and say, in Christ, you are royalty. 
Amen. And in case you don't feel very royal today, can I give you a little tip you can, tr- you can play, play with yourself just for fun? Just for fun. If you don't feel very royal today, here's the way that you can feel a little bit more royal when you go home, okay? Take the, the name of the street that you live on, okay? And then put a royal title in front of that street name, all right? So, for example, you know, say you live on Buswell Street like I did. You can put a, a, a very, like, a royal title in front of that. You could call yourself the Duke of Buswell. Okay? Put, put a royal title like Duke or Duchess or Prince or Princess or Lord or Lady. What, what's, your, what's your royal name? Think of it right now. You know, it, it's, it's, it's your street name, and then put a royal title in front of that. What is your, street, what, what, what is your royal name? It might be, you know, Lord Alberni. Okay? It might be Lady Tolmy. You know, it could be, you know, uh, you know could, be, could be King Edward. It works for pretty much every street you can live on here in Vancouver unless you live on number two road. All right? For obvious reasons, because princess number two just doesn't sound very royal. But the fact is, you are royalty. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. It's because when David put on that robe of fine linen, it represented his identity, which is he is royalty in God's eyes. And so are you. If you believe that, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. That is who you are. Amen. Number three, if you are in Christ, then there's a third aspect to your identity that you need to know. And David wears it really well here in First Chronicles 15. Look at 1527. What does it say? It says, David also wore a linen ephod. Everyone say an ephod. What is an ephod? Is that a different, like, is that like another kind of iPod? What, what is an ephod? Like, let, let, let's look at, let's look at Second Samuel. Look at Second Samuel. Look at that one. Where, where, with me, one, two, three, says, David wearing a linen ephod danced before the Lord with all his might. Stop right there. Stop right there. See, David, he's wearing a linen what? An ephod? What is an ephod? See, an ephod was a priestly garment. It was sleeveless, and so if you had really good biceps, you could show off your muscles. Uh, it had a bit of a skirt to it, but it was what the priest would wear when they offer sacrifice to God. And underneath his royal robes of fine linen, David is, for some reason, wearing this linen ephod that priests normally wear. Why is he doing that? It's because he's saying something about his identity. He's saying that in his own way, he's not just a king, but he's also a priest in the kingdom of God. That is what he's saying. And, and here's the thing, is that when David wears this priestly garment called an ephod, it's speaks to two things. The first one is it's speaking to the day, one day, pointing forward into the New Testament, centuries later, when Jesus Christ would be both our king and our priest. He would be the one who would be king of kings over all things. At the same time, he would be the priest who would offer the most ultimate sacrifice for our sins. He was a king and a priest. And so David, he wears this linen ephod as a prophetic pointing to the future. But not just that. When David, he wears this linen ephod and it's a priestly garment, what does that tell you about you and me? Is that when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, when God's righteousness is on you, you are not just a child of God. You're not just a royal heir in his kingdom, but you are one more thing. And that is this. Write this down. In Jesus Christ, you are a priest chosen to represent him in this world. If you believe that, say amen. See, a priest is not just someone who preaches on a stage. A priest is not just someone who who leads songs. You know, a priest is not someone who works in church only, but a priest is anyone who places their faith in Jesus. A priest is someone who represents God in this world, who's there to bring bring God praises, to to, to lead others to Jesus. Look at 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 together. Read it with me in a big, loud voice. 1, 2, 3, it says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare... 
the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Keep on going. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you would not receive mercy, but now you have received mercy. Go back to verse 9, and if you have in your Bibles, I want you to underline these three words. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Why don't you underline those words? A royal priesthood. Everyone say, a royal priesthood. That is who you are. That is the third part of your identity when you place your trust in Jesus Christ. And so I want you to notice something. David, he's wearing this robe, this royal robe of fine linen, representing his job, that he's a king. Underneath the royal robe, one, at some point he actually takes off the royal robe. And underneath it, he has this linen ephod, shows his biceps, and he starts to dance before the Lord with all his might to show that he is not just a king, he's also a priest. And what does that tell you about you and me? It's a picture that's really cool for those of you who've trusted in Jesus, which is that you might, from Monday to Friday, be wearing the clothes of a student who goes to school. Monday to Friday, you might you know, wear the clothes of a pharmacist, or the clothes of an accountant, or the clothes of a full-time parent who you know, changes diapers and takes care of the kids and, and picks them up from, from class and go, takes them to swimming. And you might be, that might be the clothes that you wear from day to day. But underneath all of that, at the core of who you are, you are a priest in the kingdom of God. If you believe that, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. You are God's representative. Come on, give God a big, big shout in this place right now. You see, here's the thing. Those other clothes that you wear right now every day, they're not going to last you. For example, if you're a student at UBC or Langara, then those, cl those, clothes, those, those clothes of you being a student, that should probably last you about four years, maybe five, hopefully not ten, okay? Hopefully you're, you're going to get past university uh, you know, at, at some point. But see, here's the thing, is that, is that you, those, that status as a student, it's going to come, it's going to go. But your status, your identity as a priest in God's kingdom, that is forever. It is a forever identity that you have. And so you might think of yourself, you know, as, oh, what am I doing here? You're at work, what am I doing? You're like, you're, you're, going, to, you're, going, you're at the desk and in, in your heart, you're working away and you're just like, what am, what am I doing here? Like, is, is this the right place for me? Like, well, I'm so confused. Like, like why, why am I here? You know, let me tell you why you're here. You're a priest in God's kingdom. You're a priest in God's kingdom. You might be you know, going to and forth. I'm just, you know, I'm just sending him here and picking him up here. I'm, I'm taking him here. I'm changing him. I'm feeding him. What, what am I doing? Let me tell you what you're doing. You're a priest in God's kingdom. That is who you are. And what you're doing is you are representing God to the people you are around. You're, you're leading them to Jesus through your attitude, through your prayers, through your example, through the way you serve them. And when you do that, what are you doing? You are fulfilling that third part of your identity, which is you are a priest. Turn to your neighbor and say, in Christ, I'm a priest. In Christ, I am a priest. If you believe that, say amen. See, what does knowing and understanding your identity in Christ have anything to do with experiencing more of God when you worship with others? It has everything to do with experiencing God when you worship with others. See, when you know who you are in Jesus Christ, that you're a child of God, that you're a royal heir in his kingdom, that you're a priest in his house, it impacts how you pray. It impacts how you approach God in worship. It impacts what you ask of God. It impacts how you worship him. It impacts how much faith you have in him. It, it affects not only your relationship with God, but it affects your relationship with other people as well. You can be a blessing to them in ways you weren't before because you know who you are. If you believe that, say amen. See, when you know that you're a child of God, you know that you're treasured. You know that you're righteous. You know that you're acceptable in God's sight. It means that when you make mistakes, and maybe you made some big mistakes this past week that you regret, you can come back to God because you know who you belong to. 
You can quickly recover because you know I belong to a God who loves me unconditionally and who's got my back. You can quickly experience his mercy and grace again when you know that you're a child of God and you experience rejection from people. And maybe this coming week you might, you might experience some rejection. That rejection will hurt, but it won't destroy you because you know that your value and your worth are not in that person. Your value and your worth are in Jesus Christ who calls you his child. If you believe that, say amen. See, when, when you know that you're a child of God, you're less obsessed with the opinions of people. You're less into trying to prove your worth in front of others because God has already proven his worth when he sent Jesus Christ to die for you. That's what happens when you know who you are, your identity. You experience God that much more quickly and that much more. When you know that you are not just a child of God, but you know that you're an heir of the kingdom of God, a part of his royal family, what does that do for you? It gives you confidence. When you pray, you're not just, oh, dear Jesus, if you're there, if it's in your will, if you hear me. No, 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 no. You can come to God with confidence knowing that because you are royalty in his eyes, he hears every word that you speak. You can face any challenge that you are going through right now knowing that because I'm a member of God's royal family, God has made all the resources of heaven available to me so that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nothing needs to be too difficult for me. If you believe that, say amen. When you know that you are an heir of God's kingdom, you can experience God's power working in your weakness. When you know that you're not just an heir of God's kingdom, but you know you're also a priest in God's kingdom, you'll find that you're quicker to pray for people than otherwise would be. If, you're, if your child is sick, instead of panicking being your first instinct, your first instinct will be, I'm going to pray for my child because I'm not going to wait for my pastor to pray for him. I'm going to pray for him because I'm a priest as well. I'm going to lay my hands upon her. And I'm going to say, in Jesus' name, sickness go away. In Jesus' name, by the authority that I've been given as a priest in God's kingdom. I say sickness, go away. I rebuke the sickness, and in Jesus' name, I ask for healing right now. Amen. Amen. It's about what you're doing is you're stepping into your identity in God. And when you do that, when you understand your identity, you can approach the throne of God. You can come and worship with others and experience God so much more. If I'm making sense in this place, give God a big, big hand here in this place because God is working right now. You are a child of God. You are an heir of his kingdom. You are a member of his royal family, and you are a priest. Should I share this one? Okay, I'll share this one. Um, back in grade eight, uh, I went to a school dance. Did everyone go to a school dance? High school? Do you guys have that? School dances? Do they still have that in high school? Okay. I went to a school dance, and it was one of the freakiest experiences of my life. All right? Um, so awkward. Uh, you, know, you know, in grade 8, you know, you're just kind of very awkward about everything. And in, very, in grade 8, I was, I was very nervous. I remember I wore a red shirt and a purple tie. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, I remember just in case a girl wanted to dance with me, I, I asked my sister if she could practice slow dancing with me. Okay? And it wasn't, there was, it wasn't a waltz. It, wasn't, it was one of those very robot, robotic high school slow dances, you know, where you're just kind of like this, you know. And, uh, and, and that's what we did. And then, you know, I went to this dance, this is a school gym, and uh, I thought, you know, the tie will make me stand out. You know, it's kind of my special accessory. But the moment I got into the gym, there was these, this group of much bigger guys in grade 12 that I was scared of, and they were like, take the tie off, no ties. I'm like, oh. Oh, and I took the tie off. I went in looking, you know, like just not feeling very confident. And I remember it was the most, one of the most awkward nights of my adolescence where I just didn't know what I was doing. And I remember I had one dance with one girl, and it was a very robotic slow dance thing. I don't even know her name. It was just... And, and that was it. And, and at the end of it, it was like, oh, my goodness, I'm never going back to a school dance again. <laughs> 
and, and, I, and the fact is that for the next few years, I didn't go back to a school dance. Um, but w- what happened during those next few years was I became a Christian. I, uh, I you know, started to grow my relationship with God. I remember there was a mentor of mine in my life who, who really encouraged me to get to understand my identity in Christ. And I started to study the scriptures, study the Bible, and see that, you know, yeah, I'm a child of God who's loved unconditionally. You know, I'm an heir of God's kingdom. I'm a priest in his house. And when I started to do that, something happened with my confidence level. And, you know, I remember I was in grade 12, and, and there was another school dance. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I kind of had to be there. I was, the, I, was the, I, was the, I was the president of the student council at the time, and, and so it was kind of expected I go and I remember going oh my goodness I don't want to go to another school dance but I, I went into the gym and I thought to myself all of a sudden I had these flashbacks to all those awkward moments I had back in grade eight I thought to myself oh my goodness this is so awkward and I went I went back out of the gym I started praying in the hallway I said God would you please help me please help me with this right now and you know during that time you always know sense I sense the Holy Spirit say JB remember who you are remember who you are and I started thinking back to all the things I learned about my identity I'm a child of God I'm an heir of God's kingdom. I'm a priest in his house. I thought, you know what? If that is where I am, that, if that's who I am, and my worth is in God, then why am I so concerned about how other people see me? I'm going to go into this dance. I'm just going to be the best blessing that I can be. And so you know what ended up happening? I went to this, this school dance. Um, it was with one of our sister schools. And um, at that time, I didn't know how to dance. My friends around me, they didn't know how to dance. But I thought, you know, we're just going to make the best of this, all right? I'm not going to be too concerned about how other people see me. So I'm just starting to dance, all right? Started to dance, 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 and then just started to dance and dance and dance and, dance and just, just tried to just not think too much about how they see me, but I'm just going to try to make this a time where I'm just celebrating who I am in Jesus. I'm going to celebrate his love in my life. I'm going to celebrate the hope that is in him. Regardless of what music is playing, I'm just going to dance. And you know, as I was doing that, my friends, they're like, they didn't know how to dance too, but they, they started saying, hey, how do you do that? Let me do that too. And, and we started to dance that way. And, and you know, when, when the slow dances came on, instead of doing any kind of weird robotic thing. I went to the bench. I'd be sitting here. I'd see other people who didn't have people to slow dance with. I'd, I'd just start talking to them. Just try to be a blessing to them. Start loving on them. And you know what ended up happening? Had an amazing time. At the end of that dance, they did this thing where they said, ladies and gentlemen, we want to uh, award a best dancer award and we want to give it to, and I got the award for best dancer. Isn't that incredible? And, and, and what, what, you know, when, I, when I went home, the incredible thing for me was not the best dance reward. The, the, the incredible thing for me was that I learned something about the power of knowing your identity. Is that you might be going through an uncertain time, a scary time, an awkward time, but when you know who you are, you don't have to be so obsessed with how other people see you. When you know who you are, you can just be confident, you can enjoy life, you can just go in and do your best and trust that God is with you and you're going to experience God as you do. If you believe that, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. That's what happens when you know who you are. Tall person, give him a high five. That is who you are. Amen. Could it be today the reason why you lack confidence, the reason why you're so depressed these days, the reason why you're so frustrated with life, could it be it's because you've forgotten who you are in Christ? Could it be? You know, because David understood his identity. He knew that he's a child of God. He knew he's a member of his royal family. He knew that he's a priest in God's house. He could approach God with confidence and not fear. He could dance before the Lord with all his might, and he could just be, you know, I'm just going to give God worship. Hebrews 4, 14, 16 says it this way. Read it with me in the big, loud voice. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. Read it with me. One, two, three. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the 
faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. If you want to experience more of God, it begins with understanding your identity in Christ. Is that helpful in this place this morning? Are you guys learning something this morning? Praise God. Number two, when you worship with others, if you want to experience more of God as you do it, choose the right attitude. Don't be a spectator. Be a participant. See, how many of you guys know that your attitude, when you go into any environment, makes a huge difference? Last week or last month, uh, my wife, Pastor Charlene, Bradley, my son, and I, we went on vacation to California, and uh, we just really just kicked back, slowed things down. Our lives can be kind of hectic sometimes, but we had, uh, you know, just some days to ourselves just to hang out and spend time together, and there were two days that we spent, which were probably the busiest of the whole time that we were there. We spent it at Legoland. Has it been to Legoland before? Heard of Legoland? You know, I, when, I, you know my, my son, he kind of likes Lego, and so we thought, you know, it would be a cool experience for him, and I, I thought when we go to Legoland, I expected to hear the song, you know, everything is awesome, everything is cool when you're part of a team. But you know what? I didn't hear that singing or that, 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 kind of, that kind of crying out. Instead, you know what kind of crying out I heard a lot of at Legoland? It was a lot of unhappy, unsatisfied uh, kids. Just like, why can't I go? I want this one, not that one. And it was, I, was, I was just amazed at how much crying there was at Legoland. I was like, this is one of the most amazing places for kids to be. And I'm hearing as much crying as if you know, we're like in a hospital or something. And, and, it, and, it, and it just reminded me of something. I know, granted, some of these kids are maybe sick. They might be tired. They might have other things going on. But there were some kids who were just, you know, they were just kind of in their bubble where they just had a bad attitude. And, and, and because they had that bad attitude, no matter how great the environment around them was, they couldn't enjoy it. They were just focused on their problem. You know, praise God, Bradley, he had a great attitude during that time. Uh, you know, we, he, he went through Legoland, and we were like, hey, so did you enjoy it? He didn't, we didn't get to go on everything that he wanted to go on, but he was like, at the end of the day, he, he said, we had, hey, Bradley, do you enjoy it? He said, best day ever. And then we thought, oh, that's Legoland. But the next day, you know, we did something much more boring, something that kids don't like to do. And we asked Brad, hey, so how's your day? Do you have a good day? And still he said, best day ever. It's because how many of us know your attitude is what counts if you believe that, say amen. And see, here's the thing. When you worship God with others, your attitude is the number one factor that will determine how much of God you experience. It's not how good is the preaching. It's not how well is the band playing. It's not how's the heat, how's the temperature. It's not, you know, you know, like how smooth did things go, but it's your attitude. It's the condition of your heart. Everything could completely flop on its face, but if you have the right attitude when you worship God with others, you will experience him no matter what. If you believe that, say amen. First Chronicles 15, 28 says it this way. Read it in big, loud voice. Help me preach right now. One, two, three, it says, So all Israel brought up the ark of the covenant of the Lord with shouts, with the sounding of ram's horns and trumpets and of cymbals and the playing of lyres and harps. Keep on going. As the ark of the covenant of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David dancing and celebrating, she despised him in her heart. See what's going on. Here we've got two members of God's royal family. There's David, the king. There's Michal, his wife, the queen. But notice this. They're in the same church service, but they're having two completely different experiences. And why is it? It's because their attitudes were completely different. 
One was a participant, the other was a spectator. And because their attitudes were different, how much they experienced God was two completely different things as well. Here's a question for you. When you enter the house of God, what's your attitude like? Do you come with the attitude of a participant and say, I'm going to get involved. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to wait for others or wait for a feeling to come, but I'm, I'm just going to give God my best and worship him. Or do you come with the attitude of a spectator? You're just kind of focused on everything other than God. Focus on, oh, wh- why is that person doing that? Why is that person lifting their hands? Why, wh- why is the song so fast? You know, wh- wh- why is the preaching so long? You know, wh- and, and, and you're just kind of focused on people instead of on God. What is your attitude like when you come to the house of God, when you worship with other people? Are you a participant or are you a spectator? If you're not really sure, let me give you a few clues that can ha- kind of help you differentiate spectators from participants. Number one, write this down. Participants are grateful and God-focused. Spectators are critical and people-focused. Amen? See, David, he's a participant. He's caught up in the presence of God, and he's just grateful to be there. I'm sure not everything went perfectly. I'm sure, you know, certain things didn't go as planned, but he's like, you know what? I'm just going to worship God anyways. I'm focused on him. I'm just going to give you, God, my heartfelt praise. McCall, on the other hand, she was so caught up not in God, but she was so caught up in herself and the people around her, that she missed the whole point of the worship service. And instead of looking at God, she'd be looking at the people around her, especially her husband, and just being very, very critical of him and other people. And as a result, did she experience God at all? She didn't experience God at all. Same worship service, two different experiences, all because of a difference in attitude. You know, I I grew up in church, and uh, the way I say it, and you've heard me say this uh, maybe, is, you know, my, my dad, he was the choir conductor. My mom was a choir pianist. Uh, one day they decided to, have mu- to make beautiful music together, and I was a result of that beautiful music. And I started to basically grow up in church ever since that time. And, you know, during that time, for the first 15 years of me being in church, I found that I was basically just a spectator. This was my parents' faith. I'm like, why do we have to go? I, I hated singing. I didn't like church. I'd be sitting in the back with my arms cross this way, not singing at all. It's because for so many years, I just was a spectator. My attitude was bad. Did I experience much of God? Not at all. But see, when I opened up my heart to Jesus Christ, started to grow my relationship with God, I realized that my attitude makes a difference. And I started to find that, wow, if I do just these little things that help me to participate, if I'll just take some notes during the sermon, if I'll come on time, if I'll maybe sit a little bit closer to the front, if I will, you know, clap when everyone's clapping, when, I, when, I, when, I, when, when, when the worshiper says, shout to God, and I shout to God, somehow, somehow, by participating, I experience God so much more. How about you? Are you a spectator or are you a participant? You know, spectators, they they love to focus on the people. And they have very human explanations for everything that happens. Oh, the the service was too long. You know, the the song's too fast. You know, the people too friendly. You know, know, the the ushers, they're too cute. You know, and and, and they're just kind of very focused on the people, all the people. It's always always, always focused on the people. And, and, you know, participants, they're kind of like, you know, I don't want to join in what God is doing here. God, what are you doing? I want to be focused on you. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. Clue number two. Participants are about service. Spectators are about serve us. Participants are about service. Spectators are about serve us. Participants are givers. Spectators are all about what's in it for me. If you come out of a worship service and you go, oh, but I didn't get anything out of the service, then that says something about your attitude. It's the attitude of a spectator. Oh, I didn't get anything out of it today. What is that? 
getting something out of it, that's the attitude of a consumer, of a spectator. If you want to experience more of God, it's about being a participant and saying, God, I'm going to give to you first. Look at First Chronicles 16.1. What does it say? Read it with a loud voice. One, two, three. It says, they brought the ark of God and set it inside the tent that David had pitched for it, and they presented burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before God. What's going on is that this worship service is all about serving God, offering to God. God saying, God, here's my best. This is what I have to give you. David, he's coming into the house of God, and he doesn't come just to receive. Even more, he's there to give. And so he claps, he shouts, he sings, he, he, he gives his best offering. Because his attitude is, I'm here to give to you, God. I'm here to worship you. You've given me so much. I'm giving back to you because you are worthy of my praise. I know I'm a child of God. I'm a priest in your kingdom. I'm a royal member of your family. And so I'm going to worship you right now. That was his attitude. It was the attitude of a, of a participant. And see, here's the thing. Participants, they have a really cool secret that they know that spectators have no idea about. Do you know what the secret is? Can I tell you what the secret is? See, participants know this, but spectators don't. See, participants know that you can never outgive God. Amen. Is that when you come with the attitude that, oh God, I'm going to give my best. I'm going to give my best offering. I'm going to give my best praise. I don't care what my neighbor is doing. I don't care if other people aren't doing but I'm going to do it. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to shout. I'm going to give praise. I'm going I'm to take good notes. I'm going to respond. When I do that, you're going to find this, is that you can never outgive God is that you can give God your very best and God will outdo your very best. He will give you joy when you give him praise. He will give you peace when you give him worship. He, when you give him your best tithe and your best offering, he will make sure you don't lack a thing because you can never outgive God. If you believe it, give God a big, big hand here in this place. That's what happens when you come with the attitude of a participant is that you can never outgive God. If you believe that, say amen. But when you come as a spectator, and you're just about, oh, what's in it for me? Oh, serve me, help me, make me laugh, make me cry, entertain me. You know, when you come with that, when you give little or nothing at all, you know what happens? You give God little or no room at all to work in your life. You give God little or no room at all to let you experience him more. So when you come together with your brothers and sisters, your friends here at church, can I tell you something? Don't be a spectator, be a participant, amen. Sing from your heart. Pray from your heart. Lift your hands to God. Shout to God. In fact, everyone shout to God right now. Come on. Praise God. It's, it's, you, know, you shout to God. Take good notes in the service. You know, you, you do, like, do, do what you can to digest what the, the, the preaching of God's word. Take pictures if you need. Greet those who are not, 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 not familiar to you. you know, welcome those who are new. And this is an important one too. Give your faithful tithes and your generous offerings. Amen. Amen. And then let's look at Malachi chapter 3, 8 to 12 right now. Read it with me in a big loud voice. One, two, three, it says, Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will have not room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will cast, not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. See, what, what is going on here? 
God in Malachi chapter 3 is talking about, one of the most important ways we participate in the worship of God with others is in our tithes and our offerings. The reason why we give God tithes and offerings, on one hand, it is worship unto God. The Bible says that that first tithe, tithe means literally one-tenth. A tithe is the first 10% of your income. Is that before, when you take your salary, when you take that allowance, when you get that money, what you do is before you spend it on yourself, before you pay your taxes, before you do anything else, you take that first 10% and you give it to God as a tithe. That is what a tithe is. And the Bible says this, is that if you will be faithful and obedient to God's word and tithe what you have received, what's going to happen? God is going to make sure you are blessed. God is going to make sure that he will throw open the floodgates of heaven so that you will not have room enough for it if you believe that, say amen. Amen. That is his promise to you and to me. If you're a spectator in this place, you're like, oh, I don't know about that. Oh, no, I've, I've, I've got this stuff, and I, I, I need to pay some bills, man. I got some tuition to pay for, man. I got these shoes I want to buy, man. I got a new phone that I want to buy, man. And, 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 and you're just kind of really into yourself. And, and you know, a participant says, you know what? I'm going to trust God and his promise that when I seek his kingdom first, he will add everything I need. And it's not just to give God glory. It's to take good care of my church. Amen. Is that church doesn't just kind of automatically, magically run by itself. It runs on the generosity and the faithfulness of God's people who worship at that house. Amen. And the fact is this. If we are not faithful in tithing and giving our offerings, then we are limiting what God can do in and through us. We are disabling the church from taking care of the people that we are called to take care of. We are disabling ourselves from doing the mission that God has called us to. If you believe that, say amen. And so, you know, later on today, you might see a, a church finance summary from this past month. And it seems to me that this is an area that we got to work on. This is an area where we got to work on it. To realize that worship isn't just what happens during the one and a half hours that we're together on a Sunday morning, but it's also what we give. It's also, are we faithful to God's word to tithe and trust that when we do that, he will add everything the church needs and everything that I need because we are participants in the kingdom of God. Here's a question for you. Are you faithful in tithing? Or are you someone who kind of tips God? Oh, yeah, that's a good service. I'm going to give, you know, an extra 20 bucks today. And, yeah, that, that I'll give, instead of 10, I'll give you 20 this day. No, no, no. If, if you do that, you've got the wrong attitude. You've got an attitude of a spectator. You know, if you're someone who goes, oh, yeah, oh, well, no, like, I mean, I, I like singing, you know, I like, I like, you know, Bible study, but no, 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 I, I don't, I don't want to tie. See, the, the, what, what's going on? God wants to expand your territory in 2018. And part of this realizing that when we worship God, a huge, important part of it is how we give. If you believe that, say amen. Here's a question. Are you a spectator or are you a participant in the house of God? If you want to experience God, be a participant. Number three, clue number three, participants bear good fruit. Spectators don't. See, David, he's a participant. He's worshiping God with all his heart. And what fruit did he bear? Look at 1 Chronicles 16, 2 and 3 with me right now. Read it with me in a loud voice. 1, 2, 3. It says, after David had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Stop right there. Stop right there. What is it saying? It's saying that David, after he'd given God an offering, he goes and he blesses the people. He prays for them. He blesses them. Sometimes we got that the other way around. See, David, he gave to God first, and he gave to his people. Some, sometimes, the reason why sometimes some of you are really unhappy right now is you got it flipped. You give to people first, and then you give the leftovers to God. And as a result, you always feel empty. As a result, you feel like you never have enough. But see, God, you know, David, he gives us a great example. 
give to God first. And after he gives to God first, he tithes, he goes beyond his tithe, he offers more and more. And then he's able to bless the people in his life, to bless his household, bless his country, bless the people around him, bless his, the, his friends at church. He goes, he, he, he blesses them, he prays for them. Look at verse three, what does he do? He says, then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each Israelite man and woman. So what does he do? He provides for them materially as well. He says, hey, uh, let me buy you lunch. That's basically what he's saying. You know, I was, looking, I was reading this this morning. You know, a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, a cake of raisins. You know, I don't know if you know this, but Pastor Charlene and me and Bradley, you know what we eat for breakfast every day? We eat dates, raisins, and oatmeal. All right? And I was like, hey, that's, that's our breakfast. That's our breakfast. You know, David was feeding people breakfast on that day. He was like, you know what? We're not, I'm, just gonna, I'm not just gonna bless them and go, hey, God bless you, but I'm actually gonna do something to provide for them materially as well. That was the fruit that David was bearing. And you're gonna see later on in verses four to six, David does one more thing. David, after he gives his offerings to God, after he prays for people, blesses people materially, he then goes and does one more thing. He starts to empower other people in his church to serve like he serves. He says, hey, we need a worship band. Let's, let's, let's put this together, guys. Let's, let's, let's empower you guys to be worship leaders as well. And see, what can you learn from all this? Is that when you are a participant in worship, not a spectator, but a participant, you bear great fruit. Amen. You become a blessing to others. Write this down. True worshipers love people as an outflow of their love for God. It's not the first thing they do. It's actually the second thing that they do. They love God first, and then they love people second. But you're going to find this. People who love God first and love people second tend to love people better than people who love people first and love God second. Does that make sense? Amen? Let me say that again. People who love God first and love people second tend to love people better than people who love God, who love God people first and, people, and, and God second. Amen? 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 If you love God first and people second, you will be a better lover of people than people who have that flipped. Amen? True worshipers love people as an outflow of their love for God. And on the other hand, when you have the attitude of a spectator, not a participant, but a spectator, what happens? You don't bear any fruit at all. In fact, if you read in 2 Samuel about what McCall did, how she complained and criticized David about, oh, why did you do that? Why did she just a spectator and a critic in her church? You know what ended up happening? The Bible says that after that time, McCall never bore any children. And that's not to say that if you are trying to get pregnant right now that, and you're not, that's not happening, that something's wrong with your worship, that's not the lesson. But the lesson is this, is that when you're a spectator in worship, you don't bear any fruit. You don't bear any good fruit. You don't reproduce into other people. And that's why God wants you to be a participant and not a spectator. Because he made you to be someone who is not just going to impact you, but to impact generations after you. If you believe that, say amen. He made you to be a blessing to generation after generation. Number three, we're going to close. Today we've been learning about our identity and our attitude. There's one last thing you want to do if you want to experience more of God in worship. See worship not as an event, but as a lifestyle. See worship not as a big event that you go to once a week, but as a lifestyle that you do every day. First Chronicles 16, 4-6 says it this way. Read it with me right now. It says, He appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord, to make petition, to give thanks, to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. And he starts to name all the different people. Do we have that? We start to name all the different people who are leaders that he has appointed to be worship leaders. And it says in verse 6, can we go to First Chronicles chapter 16? Okay, go to verse 6. 
and says, he lists all these different people, and he says, and Benaiah and Jehaziel the priests were to blow the trumpets regularly before the Ark of the Covenant of God. If you have your Bibles in front of you, go to verse 6, and why don't you underline those, that word, that one word, regularly. Everyone say regularly. Say it again, regularly. See, what's going on? David's saying, all right, we had an amazing worship service, guys. That was awesome. The ark of God is in Jerusalem. The presence of God has filled this place. We've enjoyed the presence of God. We are blessed. We've experienced God. But he says, I'm not going to stop there. I'm going to keep on worshiping God tomorrow. I'm going to worship God regularly. And not just me, but I'm going to prepare and create a system where my whole entire nation can worship God regularly. It's because David understood that real worship is not an event or an activity. Real worship is a lifestyle. Amen. It's not just the first couple songs that you sing before a service. It's not just one church event, but it is every day, all day, what we do to worship Jesus. That is real worship. How about you? Is your worship of God limited to just like one and a half hours on a Sunday morning and the rest of the time is your time? Or do you see worship on a much deeper, broader level, which is that it's everything that I do. When I'm in church, I'm here to worship Jesus. When I'm at home, I'm here to worship Jesus. When I'm in the car, I'm here to worship Jesus. When I'm by myself in front of my computer, I'm here to worship Jesus. When I'm at the workplace, I'm here to worship Jesus. When I'm with my kids, with my friends, with my family, I'm here to worship Jesus. It's because worship is not an event, it's a lifestyle. And that's why over the past number of weeks, we've been doing something here as a church together. It's called the Game Time Challenge. Have you guys been doing the Game Time Challenge? Yeah? Have you guys been doing the Game Time Challenge? Yeah? And uh, it's a 40-day challenge. In fact, if you count the days, it turns out to be more than 40 days, about 47 days. That means some grace for you guys. It's only a 40-day challenge. And so if you have missed one day or even seven days, as long as you did 40 days, you can beat this challenge. Amen. Praise God. Some of you are like, oh, I have hope today. Praise God. And, uh, and what we're going to do is we're going to see who did 40 days over this period of time, spending time with God, reading his word, drawing near to him, because we absolutely believe that worship is not just an event. Worship is every day, all day. It's a lifestyle. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's a lifestyle. When you worship once a week on a Sunday morning and you don't worship God at all at any other time of the week, that's like eating one huge meal and then expecting that to last you the whole week. No, we need to eat regularly of God's presence every day, regularly of his word, multiple times a day. If you believe it, say amen. Amen. Have you guys learned something in this place this morning? Do you guys want to be spectators or participants? I say we'd be participants, amen? I say let's stop being spectators who wait for others to give and we just kind of sit back and watch. We want to be people who experience much of God. We want to be participants because we are children of God who are righteous, acceptable, and treasured in His sight. We are priests in God's kingdom called to give God praise. We are heirs of His royal family and we share in His authority. Come on, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. That is who you are. That is who I am. That is who we are as Thrive Church. And let's so stand up for your feet right now. We're going to respond to God right now. Ask the band. Today we've learned that God made you to experience Him, especially when you worship with others. And see, how much of God you experience when you worship with other people depends on your identity, understanding who you are in Christ. It depends on your attitude. Do you come as a participant or a spectator? Do you see worship as one event or a lifestyle? And if you're here in this place and you realize that this message was for you, that it's time to expand your territory and realize that, it's, that, that you've got to stop being a participant that just kind of goes through the motions, but you want to be a great participant. You want to stop being a spectator and become an awesome participant in the worship of God. You want to experience more of God in this place. 
If that's you, I'm going to encourage you to lift your hands to God right now on the count of three. And we're just going to respond to God in this place and believe that as we cry out to Him, we're going to experience more of Him together as we worship Him. If you want to experience more of God when you worship with others, step into your destiny as a priest in God's kingdom. Why don't you raise your hand on the count of one, two, three. Just raise your hand right now. Raise to God as your response to Him. Praise God. Just approach the throne of grace with confidence because He's with you. He loves you. He knows you. And He hears you right now. So why don't you start talking to God right now in your own words from your heart. Just start talking to God right now. Say, God, make me a true worshiper. Make me a participant in your kingdom. Maybe help me to choose a good attitude every time I worship with others. Thank you that I'm an heir of your kingdom. Thank you that I'm a child of God who's loved and righteous in your sight. Thank you, God, that I'm a priest in your kingdom. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that I was made to experience you. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. That's it, church. Just start talking to God right now. Start lifting your hands to God and talk. Start worshiping God right now. Start worshiping God right now. He's with you right now. Come on. Jesus, come. Praise your name. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Father. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. If you want to experience more of God as we worship together, whenever we worship together, I want you to pray this prayer with me right now. Heavenly Father, thank you that because of Jesus Christ, I'm a child of God. I'm an heir of your royal family. I'm a priest in your house. That is who I am. And so when I come into your presence, may I not do it fearfully or timidly but confidently not as a spectator but a participant and when I do I'm experience more of you Lord Jesus I live to give you praise I live to give you worship and I worship you right now be glorified in me thank you that I can't outgive you that everything I give to you you always find a way to give me more. I come to you now. And I thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Give God a big hand here in this place right now. Give him a shout as well. Can you do that right now? Amen. And right now, we're going to join together as God's family in something called communion. It's where we remember what Jesus Christ has done on the cross for us how he broke his body and shed his blood so we could be forgiven. And so if you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, then we invite you to take communion with us. If you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you want Jesus in your life, then we invite you to come up and also take a piece of bread and dip it into the cup. And we're going to take communion together. We're going to pray with you as well. And so as the music is playing, as the band is leading us in this time to sing songs of worship to God, let's just do this right now. Let's remember what Jesus Christ has done. I'm just going to invite you to come up to the front as we worship Jesus together right now. Whenever you're ready, come up to the front. Those of you who receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, or you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, come up to the front as we sing this song and we take communion together right now. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, we want to give you an opportunity to do just that right now. To pray and receive Jesus Christ as your Savior is the most awesome prayer you could pray. It's the most precious prayer you could ever pray. And we want to encourage those of you who've never received Jesus Christ to pray this prayer with us right now. 
to receive Christ as your Savior so your sins can be forgiven, so that you can have a relationship with God. And so if that's you in this place, we're going to invite you to pray this prayer with me. Those of you who have received Christ into your life, why don't you pray this prayer in support of those who are praying for the first time right now. And say, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. For your amazing love for me. For your amazing love for me. How you died on the cross. How you died on the cross. To pay for my sins. Pay for my sins. How you rose again. How you rose again. And that you're alive today. That you're alive today. And you did all of that. And you did all of that. So that I could know you. So I could know you. So that I could have a relationship with you. So I could have a relationship with you. So that I could worship you. So that I could worship you. And so I do that right now. So I do that right now. I open up my heart. I open up my heart. And say, Jesus. And say, Jesus. Come into my life. Come into my life. And be my Savior. And be my Savior. Thank you. Thank you. That because of you. That because of I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. I'm an heir in God's royal family. I'm an heir in God's royal family. I'm a priest in God's kingdom. I'm a priest in God's kingdom. Thank you. Thank you. And that because of you, that because of you, I know the best is yet to come. I know the best is yet to come. In Jesus' name I pray. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. I know you've got something in your hands, so just give God a big, big shout in this place right now. Let's give God praise for all those who receive Jesus today. If you did, congratulations. We've got a gift that we want to give you at the foyer later on today. But let's take this remembrance of what Christ has done for us. Let's do it with a thankful heart right now. Why don't you lift your hands to God? Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much that the reason why we can come to your presence is all because of your son Jesus, through whom we are now children of God, through whom we are now ministers and priests in your house, through whom we are now royal members of your family. We thank you, Jesus, that because you are in our lives, that we can say the best is yet to come. Thank you, Jesus, that we have a relationship with you. Thank you, Jesus, for the hope we have in you. And thank you that we can experience you more and more each time we worship with others together. We thank you, God. We say because of you, we can go into this coming week giving you glory, giving you worship. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Give God a big hand, a big shout in this place together right now. Come on, give him some worship in this place together.